You're listening to Better Than Before Breast Cancer with the Breast Cancer Recovery Coach. I'm your host, Laura Lummer. I'm a certified life coach, and I'm a breast cancer thriver. In this podcast, I will give you the skills and the insights and the tools to move past the emotional and physical trauma of a breast cancer diagnosis. If you're looking for a way to create a life that's even better than before breast cancer, you've come to the right place. Let's get started. Hey friends, welcome to episode 314. I'm your host, Laura Lummer, and I'm so glad you're here with me today. Today, I live in Southern California, and it's cold. It's been really cold here. And today it's cold and it's gray and it's raining. And I know that we're having a cold spell across the country. Some of my clients that I've been dealing with, holy cow, I tell them, you know, here in California, we have to pay a lot of money to go and get cryotherapy and step into freezing cold, like icebox rooms to do anti-inflammatory treatments and whatnot. Where a lot of you right now, if you're living in the US and just around the world too, you just have to step outside and it's freezing cold, right? But it gets me to thinking a lot about how we feel differently. You know, we have seasonal affective disorder and definitely having a cold, rainy day. I noticed that I, I'm my stand-up desk a lot more today that I'm just feeling sleepy. I literally just want to crawl under a warm blanket, get a cup of tea and read a book, which I'm reading a fantastic book right now. If you like anything like fantasy adventure kind of stuff, it's called The Fourth Wing. And it is excellent. I love it. And so because it's so good and because it's cold and raining, I just want to be under a blanket reading a book. But it makes me think about the other night I was with some friends. My niece moved into an apartment, her first apartment of her own. And we went over there and we had a taco night and we were all visiting. And somehow we started talking about health, you know, and healthy lifestyles. Amazing how that seems to come around often. But I was talking with one of my good friends and my nephew's girlfriend about Ayurveda. Now, if you've never heard that word before, Ayurveda is the ancient system of medicine from India. And it would be similar to Chinese medicine. So Ayurveda and Chinese medicine are both 5,000 years or older. There's a debate about which one came first, but they also have lots of similar attributes in the way that they approach life and the way that they approach the health of the body. And I think it's an important thing to remember that in Western medicine, we talk about treating diseases. But when we're looking at more natural types of medical systems, we're talking about treating the body and bringing the body back into balance. And this is what I'm thinking about as we are in the winter and the rain and the cold. What do we do to keep our body in balance? Now, you know I practice the metabolic approach to health, and if you are interested in learning more about your terrain, the terrain of your body, you can go and take the Terrain 10 assessment on my website, thebreastcancerrecoverycoach.com forward slash 10, and I'll post a link to that under here, but it's a, a fascinating assessment to get a really good idea of what areas of your life could use more focus and you could bring them more into balance. I think it makes things a little less overwhelming. There's a lot of information in it, but if you look at each of the buckets independently and you look at which ones score the highest, then you can say, okay, 
give me this one thing to focus on. And then we can direct our energy and focus in that one area because nothing in our lives or in our bodies is in a silo. So when we improve something, we kind of touch on and improve everything. So bringing the body into balance is a really important thing to think about. Now, I let me tell you a little bit about how Ayurveda became a part of my life. I have been a personal trainer and a yoga teacher, gosh, for many years. I don't know. I think I was certified in personal training in 2010, and I went through my yoga teacher training in 2006. And I also graduated from the California College of Ayurveda in 2006. And what happened is I was at my local yoga studio. This was before I became a teacher. I was taking classes and they were doing a workshop on Ayurveda. And I fell in love with yoga right away. So I wanted to understand what this weird word was all about, right? A lot of people are intimidated just by the word Ayurveda. It's like, how do we say that? But I wanted to understand more about it. So one of the teachers at the yoga studio I went to was doing a class on Ayurveda. She was also a graduate of the California College of Ayurveda. And I went to this workshop and it's just like, you know, when you get exposed to something and your heart's just glowing and I was just enthralled by this. I thought, this is absolutely fascinating. This is, I need to know more. And I went home and I signed up that weekend I went home, I researched a little more about Ayurveda. I may have even signed up that same night for the California College of Ayurveda. I just knew. I was like, this speaks to me. I, I need to know more about this. I love this. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Ayurveda today, but the bigger point of it is, you know, we talk about systems like traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurveda, and we kind of relegate them over to the hippy-dippy side of life. And I think it's so unfortunate because you know, if you're a fan of this podcast, if you listen with any regularity, if you follow me at all, you know, I believe in a very integrated approach. I am very, very, very grateful for the value that Western medicine brings to life, for the life-saving value, right? And for me, I, I wouldn't be here today without Western medicine. And a couple of my children would not be here today without Western medicine. In fact, three of, them, I can, three of my children have had life-threatening either accidents or illnesses, and thank God there was medicine there for them. But again, medicine treated the acute problem, right? When my son was in a life-threatening car accident, he needed surgery. He needed help. Medicine saved his life, but it didn't then heal his body right? We had to do lots of things over the course of a long period of time after that accident so that his body could heal. My children who have asthma, who as young children have had asthma, they have to do a lot of things in their life to support the ability of their body to heal. They don't treat their asthma. They're supporting their body so their body can be healthy and function correctly. And that is the approach of Ayurveda and the approach of traditional Chinese medicine and the approach of the metabolic approach to, to health and to life and to cancer. So I think it's really important that, again, I emphasize we don't have to pick one or the other. Both have a tremendous value to bring to our lives. But in the Western world, we need science, right? It's like if science doesn't show it, then it's hippy-dippy, right? It's hokey-pokey. It's woo-woo stuff. And that's why I want to share with you today the amazing science of chronobiology. 
And I am always fascinated since studying Ayurveda. I went to the California College of Ayurveda for two and a half years. And then I practiced creating Ayurvedic lifestyle programs with clients out of a health and wellness center and yoga studio for some time. So I love what it has to offer. And I'm always fascinated. And I kind of, I don't know, I guess a little sarcastic when Western science comes up with these, woo, look what we just discovered. Look at what cinnamon can do for our health. Look at what turmeric can do for our health. Ayurveda's known that for 5,000 friggin' years. But we discover it. It's like, it's this all new discovery. So in order to just kind of bring these together, and integrate this Western science perspective and the beautiful perspective of Ayurveda and the energies around Ayurveda and how we incorporate it in our life and why it's valuable. And even if it's not Ayurveda, if it's just learning how to honor the energetics of the world we live in and the bodies we inhabit and what that means to you. So I'm actually going to offer you something in this podcast in my life coaching membership, I have a bonus course. It's a mini course on Ayurveda. And I'm just going to make it accessible to you. So I think it's got enough value that I'm going to pull it out of the course. I'm going to make it accessible, at least for now, uh, for some time, because I'd love for people, as, as I dig more into the metabolic approach to health, and I just want to help people understand the significance of coming back to basics of simple things. That's what these two Terrain Tuesday talks are all about. How do you support your terrain? And I believe that if you go through the videos, there's just a few short videos, and then there's some PDF downloads to help you understand the energetics of different foods and how they might support you. There's a lot of stuff actually in this mini course. It's really cool. And I'll make it available to you for free. I'll put the link here where you're listening to the podcast. You'll find it at thebreastcancerrecoverycoach.com forward slash natural. Okay. I decided I was going to put forward slash Ayurveda and I decided that would be a little challenging for some people. So forward slash natural, and you'll be able to access that course. Watch the videos, download the guides, look through them. And you can reach out to me by either going to my website and emailing me or joining my free Facebook group, the Breast Cancer Recovery Group. And let me know your questions and your thoughts on this Ayurveda course and how the energetics of your body, of the world, of food, of weather, of different seasons, how that resonates with you, what you think that you could do for yourself to support yourself better from this beautiful energetic perspective. So I want to share with you today some of these insights with chronobiology, what it is, why I think it's important to understand how much it supports this integrative approach to wellness. Because I don't want us to be afraid of integrated approach. I don't want us to think we've got to choose one or the other. But I also want you to be careful and understand that the powerful medicines in the Western world have lots of interactions. And herbs and spices those things can be powerful too, right? They're natural medicines. So we want to be open-minded to integrating things in a safe and natural way. And we also want to be cautious and make sure we're checking with our physician if we're taking Western medication because we don't want to have interactions. We want to be safe. And one of the safest approaches always is food, right? So you're going to hear a lot about food and 
using cooking, culinary spices, right? I'm not talking about pharmaceutical grade, anything and going out and buying supplements, but just what you've got in your kitchen, taking some simple things out of your kitchen, adding them into your food on a regular basis, sprinkling them into your salads and how they can have this impact on your overall wellness and the health of your train. So first, let me tell you, chronobiology, if you've never heard of it, is the scientific study of the biological rhythms of our body, of the world, and how they're influenced by time. So chronobiology encompasses a whole range of biological processes. And these kinds of things include circadian rhythms, which we've talked about here on this podcast. So the cycles of light and dark and what happens in your body and how we're impacted by different lights. And circadian rhythms are found in animals, but also in plants and also in microorganisms. So chronobiology is the Western science that examines the timing of biological events in these living organisms. They look at the timing of sleep and wake cycles, the release of hormones, the timing of cellular and physiological processes, and even the timing of things like feeding and mating, why living organisms do it when they do it. So it investigates how these rhythms are generated and regulated, and it looks at the effects of external factors such as light and temperature, right? So we're talking about seasons again, on different biological clocks in different living organisms. So the study of chronobiology has a lot of significant implications for health and medicine because it's shown that disruptions to the natural circadian rhythms in living creatures, such as things like jet lag, irregular sleep patterns, night shift work, that all these have negative impacts on our health. And they affect various body systems, including increasing the risk of chronic conditions in human beings. So understanding chronobiology is really crucial in the development of treatments and medications because even the timing of food and drugs can affect their efficacy, how effective they are in treating whatever it is you're taking them to treat. I want to share a few of these discoveries with you, and I'm going to circle it back to how they align with Ayurveda because I think it's so beautiful. And hopefully it helps you to trust integrative approaches and read a little more about them, investigate a little more about them in supporting yourself. And I will include a couple of resources that are really great for chrono, understanding chronobiology also in the show notes for this podcast. So let's talk about three different things that chronobiology has told us which Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine have known for 5,000 years, okay? But just saying. So one of these discoveries is that the role of light in regulation and circadian rhythm is important to us. This science has shown that light influences our internal clock and our circadian rhythm. And it was found that exposure to natural light during the day helps to synchronize the body's clock to its environment. So changing seasons, light and dark, when we are exposed to nature and we're not just in fluorescent lights inside all day long, but we get exposure outside, our body adjusts to that and we help to synchronize to the energy of what's going on around us. This affects our sleep patterns, our hormonal release patterns, our eating habits and other body functions as well. 
So this discovery is one of those fundamental discoveries that has led to the development of light therapies for conditions like seasonal affective disorder. And it's also informed guidelines for minimizing the impact of screen time artificial light exposure before bedtime, right? All the blue light in our face and more and more red light therapy. I do red light therapy on a daily basis. The benefits of red light therapy, and I shared a podcast, I don't know, a couple episodes back on infrared light, but different light waves. And I know uh, you'll see a lot of these beauty treatments coming out now, these kind of cyber looking, weird looking masks that you can put on. But the science has shown us that the different light wave frequencies. So blue light treats certain things, red light, green light, and they can really improve our complexion and the health of our skin as well as have an impact on our body. It's pretty fascinating stuff. So when you hear people talk about infrared and red light therapy and these little red light mats and things like that, a lot of people just think that's some woo-woo stuff, but it's not. And it's based in chronobiology. There's science behind it. So one of the discoveries is the importance of sleep and wake cycles. And chronobiology has really highlighted the critical role that regular sleep and wake cycles play in our overall health. Disruptions to our sleep and wake cycles, like I talked about a minute ago for night shift workers, have been linked to a range of health problems, including metabolic disorders, cardiovascular disease, and even mental health issues like depression and anxiety. So understanding that the disruption of sleep, and I'm going to give you a little insight into the Ayurvedic clock before the end of this episode to help you understand like, what does this mean? And what is a sleep and wake cycle? And what should we do at certain times of the day to best support our health? So through the science of chronobiology and the understanding of how disrupted sleep cycles impact our health, That's what's led to all the development and guidelines for good sleep hygiene, as well as looking into the science, doing sleep studies and looking at sleep disorders and, you know, CPAPs and mouth guards and things to help people have less disrupted sleep. It's all based in the science of chronobiology. So then there's also, I mentioned this, just highlighted this, there's chronopharmacology and drug timing. So chronobiology has led to this emergence of chronopharmacology because we started to learn, whoa, hold on. The body works different ways at different times of the day. And when you're in the world of fitness and people are training for, you know, elite athletes and things like that, nutrient timing is a big deal. And now through these studies, they've seen that pharmacology is a big deal too. And so studies look at the effects of drugs and how those effects vary depending on the timing of the administration. And that's been discovered that the efficacy and the side effects of many medications can be influenced by the body's circadian rhythm. And understanding this has led to reducing side effects and significantly impacting the management of chronic conditions like hypertension, high blood pressure, and even asthma. So these discoveries not only have helped to enhance our understanding of human physiology, but they've led to some really practical applications in medicine and in public health. And circling back to the topic of this podcast, this science has also investigated and validated some of the Ayurvedic perspectives on certain 
culinary spices that have been used. It's not even culinary spices alone, but herbs, spices, things like that that have been used for medicinal purposes in Ayurveda for thousands of years. And now this science has looked at them and said, oh, you know what? This stuff works. And clinical studies around these different substances have as if Ayurveda need to be valid, as if like 5,000 years of evidence isn't validation, but in the Western world, it's not. We've got to have a clinical study that validates it. So thanks, chronobiology, for validating what some people have known for 5,000 years. But let's talk about a couple simple things. So turmeric, if we haven't heard to incorporate turmeric, right? You got to be living under a rock. It's everywhere. People talk about turmeric all the time. And the active component in turmeric, which is curcumin, that's the yellow thing that can stain everything. And it gives the beautiful yellow color to curries. So turmeric has actually been really extensively studied over the past decades. And what's really been focused on is its anti-inflammatory properties. So research, Western scientific research has shown that curcumin has anti-cancer effects, that it impacts various biochemical pathways involved in cell proliferation and apoptosis, the life and death cycles of cancer cells. It's been found to inhibit the growth of several tumor cell lines, and it's been shown to modulate key proteins involved in cancer progression. Curcumin has also shown promise in treating various types of cancers, including breast, colorectal, and lung cancer. Now, here's the thing when it comes to natural medicines, and we can say, you know, in a study, you've got to standardize things. So you've got to take a specific amount of turmeric. You've got to know how much curcumin is in it, right? We've got to look at this thing on a cellular level. Well, it's kind of tough to standardize the growth of something, right? Which is why we run into so many complications and confusion when it comes to things like food and, and herbs and spices. Because if you grow turmeric in one environment in one country versus where you grow it in another, it's going to very slightly. And depending on the season that it's grown in and the location that it's grown in, it might have different variables in it. So it might not be standardized. Now, turmeric also, and lots of different herbs and different foods have some limits when it comes to bioavailability, meaning just because we put it in our mouth does not mean our body can use it. We've got this tube that goes from our mouth out our rectum, and we've got to get things absorbed as they move through that tube, right? Think of kernels of corn off of corn on the cob, right? They're not getting absorbed. They're going in one end and coming out the other. So things like turmeric and curcumin, they can also have some challenges for people because they're not really bioavailable. So Ayurvedic trick, when you take turmeric to get the most benefit out of it, to be able to absorb it as much as possible, you want to always take it with black pepper. So when you're cooking with turmeric, when you're making anything with turmeric, make sure that you add some black pepper into that recipe and that will make it more bioavailable. Now in Western studies, they look at chemicals that they can mix in with curcumin and turmeric as they're trying to create more of a drug out of it. But they're actually having some success with that and finding that it's got a lot of success in treating things like osteoarthritis, okay? Turmeric in Ayurveda is just one of these 
be all and end all kind of things, right? It's recommended to have some every single day for brain health, for blood health, for anti-inflammatory purposes, antibacterial purposes, like turmeric is just a really valuable thing to have in your culinary toolbox on a regular basis. And now it's been validated. So good to know. (laughs) All right. Another thing is frankincense. Frankincense just has this amazing history and is used for so many things in Ayurveda. So frankincense is a resin and it comes from the Boswellia serrata tree. It's this thick, gooey resin. And if you are into essential oils or aromatherapy, you can go to some reputable companies and get these you know, rocks of frankincense. And they're so beautiful because they're like the resin hardens and they break it off into little chunks. You can find that in myrrh also. And then you put them like on sand or something and just light them. And the smoke that comes out of them is just absolutely beautiful and really healing. So anyway, this is a resin from the Boswellia serrata tree, and it has a lot of active compounds that are called boswellic acids. So these acids have been studied for their immunomodulatory and anti-inflammatory effects. Hmm, that's exactly what they're used for in Ayurveda. Now, boswellic acids, this is a little technical because it's called acetyl-L-keto-beta-boswellic acid, otherwise known as ACBA in Western medicine. But these acids have been shown to inhibit inflammatory mediators, and they've been shown to have a lot of success and efficacy in treating inflammatory diseases like asthma, rheumatoid arthritis, and arthritis. Now, I don't recommend that you eat frankincense, right? So what do you mean? How do you treat it with asthma? Well, from an Ayurvedic perspective, and what I would do with my children, with you use aromatherapy. And so things like tulsi, holy basil, frankincense, you put the drops, you mix them in a little base oil, or if you're putting them in the palm of your hands, you can put a few drops in the palm of your hands if you're not sensitive to it. If you are sensitive to it, put it in a base oil first, and you just rub those drops in your hands and you inhale them. Or you put them into an aromatherapy diffuser so that you can inhale that mist because they have these active volatile compounds. And as you breathe them in, they can help to heal your body. They can help to improve the terrain of your body. When it comes to things like arthritis and osteoarthritis, same thing, you can use them by rubbing them on your skin. Our skin is very absorbent. And so it will absorb these things and it helps with inflammation tremendously. And as I'm doing that, like I'm on this video and I'm looking, I have my gloves on and I'll tell you, for those of you who see this on YouTube and you're wondering why the hell is she wearing those gloves? Is it that cold in California? I take a chemotherapy called Zolota, and a side effect from Zolota is called hand and foot syndrome. And basically, the toxicity builds up, and it affects certain cells in your hands, and it can cause hyperpigmentation, so like freckling and spots and stuff on your hands. But if you don't find a way to keep it under control, it causes extreme dryness and pain. They'll feel blistered and burned and the skin can crack and bleed. And it can become so painful that for some people, it's difficult to walk. If it's not controlled, it's really uncomfortable to touch things. I've had to get to that point before. But what I've found is that I use a lavender oil, a very natural lavender oil, 
I mix it with coconut oil and sometimes with cod liver oil, and I rub it on the palms of my hands, and then I put these gloves on so that the oil doesn't seep through and get on everything. It's because as long as I keep those oils on my skin, I have no pain. So there's a tip for you. If you're out there and you're suffering from hand and foot syndrome, and on my feet, I use the same oils, and I do put socks over them. So, But it may, has made a huge, huge difference. So I bring that up because I just am looking as I'm touching my hands and going through this podcast and, and noticing these gloves on my hands. I've gotten used to them, but I thought, hey, let's throw this tip out there. There's another integrated approach. Do I want to stop taking Zolota? Hell no. My tumor markers are lower than they've been in three years. They're in the normal range that any human being could have tumor markers between zero and 25 is the level they look at for the tumor markers we look at for my specific breast cancer. And I'm at an 18. So do I want to change my treatment plan, which includes supplements, lifestyles, and Zolota? No, I don't right? So I found a natural way to counteract the side effect of Zolota so that I'm not uncomfortable and in pain. This is the integrative approach to health and wellness, okay? So we can use these kinds of essential oils. Lavender is a very healing essential oil, and especially because the tendency on my skin seem, feels burned and gets very red and inflamed and irritated. And lavender is very cooling and very healing, especially when it comes to burns. So let's go back. I want to circle back to frankincense for just another note. But what Western science has found is that these extracts of Boswellia, when they can take them in clinical studies and standardize them, are being really helpful in minimizing inflammation. Everybody has known this forever. Then let's look at Super common. It's in your kitchen. Put it in your coffee. Put it in your milk. I put the stuff on everything. Cinnamon. Cinnamon has been known for thousands of years in Ayurveda. It's something that's been used to help control blood sugar. And guess what Western science has discovered? That cinnamon, which has been the subject of many studies, has potential health benefits, including those for particularly for metabolic disorders. And the role that it plays in improving serum lipids found in individuals, especially with type 2 diabetes. So there are some studies out there and meta-analysis is out there. And a meta-analysis is just taking lots of other studies, looking at them, and then analyzing what all those studies have found. And these meta-analysis show that spices like cinnamon can significantly reduce triglycerides, total cholesterol, and LDL cholesterol in patients with type 2 diabetes. Cinnamon has also been looked at for rheumatoid arthritis because of its anti-inflammatory effects. And the bottom line is that these studies now say, hey, there's a scientific basis for using and for the traditional use of herbs and spices in Ayurveda. And they really highlight this potential for an integrated approach to health. So we've got modern wisdom and we've got ancient wisdom, but they come together beautifully. And we can see that chronobiology and Ayurvedic lifestyle share some common principles in that aligning with bodily rhythms and natural cycles is very beneficial for our health. And both of these sciences underscore, highlight, emphasize the significance of routine, the significance in timing of daily activities, sleep, eat, and exercise, and the types of exercise even. Ayurveda 
is beautiful in the way that it looks at the types of exercise. And that will change over a life cycle, throughout seasons, depending on illnesses. And that's why I say we have to wake up every day and say, what do I need to do to support my body today? Right? How's your body feeling today? Is it feeling heavy and lethargic? And is that because it's fatigued and it needs to rest? Or is that because you're too sedentary and you need to get up and move your body and get some energy going through you? Ayurveda looks at health through that lens. So by understanding a little more about the biological cycles of Ayurveda, we can get better at being really effective in managing the routines of our life. So let me tell you a little bit about the Ayurvedic clock, so to speak. So there's actually times of the day that fall under different energetics. And when you take the mini course, you're going to understand these three words. But for the purposes of this podcast, I'm going to give you just a super brief description. So from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. is called kapha time. Kapha is an energy of heaviness, density, grogginess, and inertia. So because the energy in the world during from 6 to 10 is that sleepy, heavy kapha energy, it's recommended in Ayurveda that you always get up before 6. So it's funny because my husband is usually up at 4.30, 5 o'clock. The other day, he slept until 7.30, which is phenomenal. Like I literally got concerned. I was thinking, I need to go in the room and make sure that he's still breathing. And, and finally he got up. But he woke up and he says, oh, God, why do I feel so groggy? You know, why does sleeping more make you groggy instead of helping you have more energy? Well, according to Ayurveda, that's because when we oversleep and we sleep past that six o'clock hour, we're in that kapha energy and it affects our bodies and it affects the rhythm. Like think about when you get up during the day, think about the energy when you get up, what it's like outside before the sun comes up, as the sun comes up, kind of how the energy of the day changes from morning to afternoon to evening, right? You can feel that if you spend some time getting in touch with that cycle, you can notice that it does feel differently and it impacts your body differently. So Ayurveda recommends everybody's up before six so that you don't oversleep into that heaviness period. You wake up when you still have more energy going on because from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m., is the vata time of night. Vata is light. It's movement. It's airy. And so when we wake up during that vata period, and think about like if you have a habit of waking up at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., and you have a difficult time going back to sleep, vata means racing also. It's a light energy of movement. And so you can have a lot of thoughts moving through your brain. It can make it difficult to go back to sleep. But when you plan on getting up at 5, 5.30, before 6 a.m., you have a tendency to wake up more easily. So when you sleep past that, you get it back into that heaviness period. Then we go 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. kapha, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. the pitta time of day. Pitta is movement, is the energy of heat and activity and focus. And that's why in Ayurveda, we always recommend that we have our largest meal of the day in the afternoon, that the dinner meal should actually be something light which doesn't that also now align with Western science and the idea that we should not eat at least three hours before going to bed and that we shouldn't have heavy meals because they tend to give us indigestion, disrupt sleep, and throw off the biological cycle. 
So from 10 to 2, this is our busiest time of day. This is the time of day when we want to do focused things, intent things, work on our projects. And it's when our digestion should be, if we're metabolically healthy, at its peak, so easier to digest food. After 2 p.m., think about it. Think about the time of day when you start to feel a downgrade of energy. According to Ayurveda, from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m., we go back into that vata time. Lightness, right? It's kind of hard to focus. And we need to get ready to kind of start to wind down because the winding down part of the day is 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. We're back in kapha time. So it circles between these three, vata, pitta, kapha. We get back into the kapha time from 6 to 10, heaviness, sleepiness. This is why sleep routines are so important. We're aligning with the energy of the world around us and the energetics of this body that we exist in. And when you can learn to get in touch with that and honor that, it supports our wellness. It helps us to support our body's ability to be at its peak health. It helps our digestive system. And as I just shared with you, even through the Western science perspective, it can help us with managing chronic disease symptoms and especially reducing inflammation and other unpleasant things that happen in our body. So I just, I love Ayurveda. Like I could literally talk about it all day long. There's so much to go into. It is an amazing science. I mean, I studied, like I said, I went to that college for two and a half years. And that's just the tip of the iceberg of what there is to learn and practice. And there are some amazing Ayurvedic physicians. Uh, Deepak Chopra is an Ayurvedic doctor. And there are centers where you can go and get amazing body treatments, cleansing treatments, and very healing treatments and therapies that are all grounded in Ayurveda and have been for thousands of years. So I hope that this episode helps you kind of embrace a little more the understanding of the value of an integrative approach to health, the value that food, life cycles, light and dark cycles, sleep cycles, and herbs and spices in your foods the value of them when it comes to supporting a healthy body. And so we got to stop and look again. This takes us back to eat whole foods because when we eat whole foods, we use herbs and spices to give them flavors. They're not hyper palatables. Like when we go to a fast food place or even to many restaurants or you buy something prepackaged and it's filled with all kinds of crazy ingredients to make it taste a hundred times different than what it would taste in the natural world, right? I saw this, I follow this guy, he's a bodybuilder and he's hilarious on Instagram and he pulls up to McDonald's and he gets a Happy Meal and he pulls out these French fries and he says, there's 19 ingredients. 19 ingredients in a French fry, you guys. It should be potato, salt, and oil, right? Why are there 19 ingredients in a French fry and why are we giving them to literally billions of children Billions of humans every day. So when we start to come back to this simple, just make your French fry, get a, get a, what are those things called? Get an Insta Fryer, Insta Pot, Insta Fryer, Air Fryer, get an Air Fryer, make your own French fries. They're delicious. And then you can put a little bit of turmeric on them, right? A little bit of salt and pepper on them and actually do something that's beneficial for your body. All right. So check out the mini course on Ayurveda. Understand these different cycles and just get to know your body a little better. Get to love on it a little bit more. Like make friends with how it works. And when you do that, your body will be good to you as well. All right, my friends, 
Again, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook as Laura Lummer, the Breast Cancer Recovery Coach. And if you want more coaching, you can come and work with me individually or in my life coaching membership, which is the Better Than Before Breast Cancer Life Coaching Membership. You can find all the details in the show notes where you're listening to or watching this podcast or on my website, thebreastcancerrecoverycoach.com. I would love to support you. I love nothing more than watching people transform their lives and love themselves more through every single action that you take. That's what a healthy lifestyle is about, treating yourself well. It's not about deprivation. It's not about discipline. It's not a lot about doing things that are hard on you. It's about loving yourself more, changing the perspective of how good you treat yourself by doing good things for you. All right, friends, I'll talk to you again soon. Take care and be good to yourself. to the test laid all your doubts to rest your mind is clearer than before your heart is full and wanting more your future's at the door give it all you got no hesitating you've been This is your moment